Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Vegas 48, Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill, and Shaq is going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two of the most exciting strikers in the light heavyweight division. you got the ultra-athletic and explosive Johnny Walker. He's got a knack for the flashy finish, taking on Jamal Hill, who... Also can get knockouts too, but I've never seen volume like that uh, from a 205-er before. This should be an intense main event. I mean, uh, if we're going by Johnny Walker's last fight, I mean, he, he kind of owes this one. I mean, his last fight was, was one of the worst things I've ever seen, and he owes the fans big time because when he, when he first came into the UFC, the things that he gave us, I mean, was nothing short of spectacular. I mean, some of those knockouts like versus Roundtree and um, – and Misha Serkinov and and uh, Justin Ledet. I mean, those things were 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 fantastic. But you know, it, it seems like lately things things haven't been clicking. Jamal, you know, he bounced back from the uh, Paul Craig fight. A lot of guys have to bounce back from a Paul Craig loss, and he and he, and he bounced back in, uh, in spectacular fashion. I mean, you put Jimmy Crute down. Jimmy Crute is you know known for for his toughness, for his uh, you know for things like that so i'm excited to see how this one goes uh jamal you know might have a little pressure on him but johnny walker man like i said he, he owes the fans big time and this is a chance for jamal to come out here obviously there's always a shot for him to get an early finish but i'm curious to see what happens if jamal gets cracked with something big if he can keep going forward and i think he can personally and then with johnny walker there's questions about has he been the same guy since the Corey anderson fight you know there was all the talk about you know uh him beefing with his coaches, him bringing chicks up to the to his room on on fight week, and then he goes to uh, Faraz Zahabi. Now he's with jo uh, John Kavanaugh. So it seems like Johnny Walker searching for answers, and I think Saturday night we'll find out First if he's fit. He was Vegas, Johnny. Then he was uh, Ireland, Johnny. You know. Then he sees my success, and all of a sudden, yeah, yeah I, I think it's one of those situations. So this main event should be a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to break down this whole car start to finish, and without further ado, let's get down to business. Because first up, in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Jesse Strader, who's 5-2, and two, taking on Chad and Hellinger, who is 11-5. and five. And currently, they got Chad and Hellinger, minus 245. The comeback on Jesse Strader is plus 205. So the thing about this matchup, man, is that you know, I normally don't feel too comfortable laying minus two something on Chad and Hellinger in a UFC fight. But I got to say, Strader kind of came into the UFC a little bit too soon. I don't think Strader is bad. It's just that when you're five and two, he's not quite ready for this level. And look at the level of competition this dude's been fighting. When he was three and oh, they put him in there with 14 and five Marcelo Rojo. I'm thinking to myself, like, why would you let a three and oh dude go in there with a 15 and four guy? A uh, fourteen to five guy, excuse me, and like I get it, Marcelo Rojo's zero and two in the UFC. Yeah, he's zero and two. He fought Air Jordan and fucking Kyler Phillips. This is just a completely different level. So I kind of feel bad for Jesse Strader. Like he never got the benefit of having that regional scene experience, and you know, at least get ten pro fights under your belt or or nine, eight. And this dude's out here coming to the UFC five and one fights Montel Jackson. Obviously, didn't go his way. You need to give this guy time to develop, and with and Hellinger, he's just kind of solid and has paid his dues. You know what's interesting is he's actually got the smallest reach on this entire card. All the chicks have longer reaches than Ann Hellinger. But the dude can fight, man. I mean, he. Uh, what I respect about him most is that he started off his career 2-5. and 2-5. and five. Like, I know dudes that start off their career 0-2 and, and, and packed it in. This dude starts off his career 2-5, and five, makes it all the way to 11-5, and five, and now he's in the UFC. So I, I respect him, man. And he's just solid, well-rounded. 
that last fight. Now I know it says he beat an ob. Now that ob is not Russian, so let's just get that out the way. But he still beat a 17 and three guy on contender series. So I think he probably should have enough to get past Jesse Strader. It's just with Strader, it's like he's five and two. So you're probably going to see big leaps every single time he fights. He's probably going to look like a new version every single time. I just personally think he needs some more seasoning on the regional scene. So for that reason, give me Ann Hellager to win this fight. Yeah, you know, I, I hate when they bring in those like those young kids and have them go against like a Montel Jackson right off the bat, especially with only, you know, five, six, seven fights like that. And then you get crushed, uh, you know, really bad. It kind of just ruins their confidence, man. Um, and now you come into an, a, a more, uh, you know, a, a better situation versus Annaliger, but uh, Annaliger, I mean, this guy is very experienced, man. I mean, like you said, he bounced back from a two, two and five record. That took some serious mental toughness. That took some serious, uh, some work in his last fight. I mean, look, he beat a guy with a, a I mean, he might not be Russian, but I mean, his grappling skills were definitely, uh, were definitely impressed. I mean, UFC caliber, one hundred percent. Um, and Annaliger was very crafty. He uh, made him use energy. He made him get tired, and he capitalized his moments to hurt him on the feet, man. So, props to Annaliger. Yeah, I think he's just more well, uh, more well-rounded, more comfortable, more sure in his skills as where. Jesse Strader is kind of figuring things out. He's only got seven fights. Um, I do think Jesse Strader's got a size advantage, though. I mean, let's see how Anna Leaguer does with that, because when you look at the two side by side, I mean, Jesse Strader is just way bigger, way stronger. I mean, let's see if he can, uh, you know, shorten the gap uh, with that. But I I'm going to go with Anna Leaguer. I think he's going to break away the last two rounds. I think the first round will probably be, you know, close. Maybe even Strader uh, wins the first round, but... I think uh, Anna Leaguer just breaks him down in the last two with his experience, his, his craftiness, and he'll get the job done. And next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Deanna Belbita. She's 14 and 6, taking on Gloria De Paula, who is 5 and 4. And currently, they got Deanna Belbita minus 125, the comeback, and Gloria De Paula is plus 107. So, you know, both these ladies uh, coming back in here, and I think. With De Paula, she's just got to start to feel more more comfortable inside the octagon because those first two fights, you know, obviously didn't go her way at all. But I kind of liked what I saw in Contender Series. It's just about making that translate inside the octagon. And Belbita bounced back from two straight L's, had a pretty dominant, solid performance against Hannah Goldie for the most part until the very end. So how do you cap this fight? I mean, it's a close fight. De Paula, she hasn't looked ready, man. I mean, the, fir the first one against... um. Jenny Fry, she looked like a deer in headlights, like kind of like Tyler Sant the way Tyler Santos looked against um Mary Barella, you know. And then the next one, Cheyenne Byers, who was coming off a you know a loss, uh, she jumped on her right away. I mean, took her down easily, and you know we we all know what happened after that. Man, she got knocked out. So. Look, I think Belbita's got to be the more confident fighter. I mean, she's coming off her her first win, uh, three rounds, um, faced a little bit of adversity in there. Um, you got a couple of little, little similarities. Hannah Goldie had, had a good left high kick, and so does De Paula. So she should be used to a, a couple of things. I'm leaning towards her way. I just think she should be more confident in herself. Look, skill-wise, they're about even. Maybe even De Paula a, a little sharper, a little more clean, but... A part of me also feels like they Paula possibly might have gotten to the UFC a little bit prematurely. You know, she came in there five, you know, not much fights. Um, But, you know, it just seems like in the UFC, she just uh, I haven't seen much positive. Like, you know, the second round against Jenny Fry, I guess, would be the one round that she's won. But, you know, um, 
even that was still kind of she's very scared to get taken down um you know I, I, honestly i didn't like some of the things i was hearing in the corner too like uh it was kind of honestly bad with her and um what's her girlfriend's name again uh myra bueno silva you know so i, I look i'm gonna go with belbita i think she's gonna be more and more aggressive i think she's gonna move forward um and just kind of be the dog in this fight man just going forward uh look both girls are gonna take shots it's gonna hit the mat too probably um and belbita has kind of been proven to be a liability there but this girl doesn't have as many armbar victories as um <clears throat> jojua does i mean all of jojua's wins are like, like that's her one that's her one thing that she's got so i think um I'm going with Belbita, kind of similar, like break maybe first round a little tough, but break away in the last two and just be more aggressive. Yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying happen. I'm not sure because it's like there's a chance that Gloria comes out here better than those first two fights. Seemed like the first one, she was just super shy out there. And then the second one, she got caught. We didn't really get to see that fight play out. And her biggest weakness has been getting taken down. And Belbita is not really known for shooting. Belbita is going to give her that stand-up fight she wants. So we're going to find out who the better striker is here. Um, I I'm not too sure. I mean, because it's like Belbita has got way more experience. She's got 20 pro fights. But if you look up the wins, like they're all against 0-0, 0-0, 0-2, and that. So it's like it's a kind of a padded record a bit. Um, Tough one. I'll go with Gloria DePaula to get back on track, but it could that could be a really bad pick because she might come out here and just not be confident at all, in which case Belbita coming off that win, riding off that momentum, could come out here and extend her win streak to two in a row. But I think DePaula's back is against the, uh, the wall, so I'm going to lean with her, but it, it's not a confident pick. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Chaz Skelly. He's 18-3. and three. He's taking on Mark Striegel, who is also 18-3. and three. And currently, they got... Chas Kelly minus 200. The comeback on Mark Striegel is plus 170. So, I mean, Chas Kelly has been looking to have this uh, retirement fight for a long ass time. You know, uh, Jamal Emmers, I think, well, he was having like back spasms in the back and couldn't make the walk, unfortunately. Uh, so that was supposed to be Chaz's retirement fight. Now, now he finally got it. And I think he got the right opponent, man. I mean, listen, Striegel, I know. If you just look at the optics, Chas Kelly has got, you know, the dad bod and Striegel's ripped. So obviously Striegel is going to whoop his ass, right? And actually, I think that Skelly is going to come out here, take this dude down. There's going to be some exciting scrambles, but I think Skelly comes out here and submits this guy, man. I mean, listen, uh, Skelly was at, at one point on track to having the most submission wins in featherweight history, but he kept getting sidelined by injuries, inactivity, this and that. So he never actually got the chance to do that. Um, but I'd, I think Saturday night, He's too experienced, and mo most importantly, I think he's too tough for this guy. So while I think Striegel can have some success early, I think Skelly eventually submits him. So give me Chas Skelly via submission. You know, um, Skelly, always been a fan. I mean, one of the best submission guys ever at 145. I remember, I know you remember that win over uh, Kevin Souza back in the day. Um, I mean, Chas Skelly, he can throw too. I mean, he's, he's got power. His punches aren't the most technical, but, I mean, he, he's got power and he can crack. So, um you know, Chaz had a good run at this, man. Uh, Mark Striegel, I actually faded this guy in his debut at, like, big odds. Just because I, man, you want to talk about a padded record. Just Mark Striegel's got a padded record. I mean, uh, he, I think he comes from the Guam scene or the one of those scenes. Uh, and, and just his fights on the local scene just weren't up to par with the with what I was seeing. I mean, like, he was, when he was 16-2, and two, he fought an 0-0 guy. So, like, that, that's what I'm kind of putting into uh, perspective here. But, look, he's got some, a couple of other other good wins um but 
I just think, uh, yeah, he, he did beat Kai Car France. Um, I, I think that just look. I, I hear he's been training um, at the lab. Look, I look. He might be. There might be a better uh, version of him here. Chaz Skelly does have a tendency to kind of overwork himself in the grappling and kind of gas out late. It's just that I feel like Striegel is one of these guys where he'll have the chances, even if it goes three rounds, he'll have the chances to maybe capitalize, but I just don't see him capitalizing. Um, look, now I'm not sitting here saying play Chaz Kelly in his retirement fight at minus two something, but Chaz Kelly is the, been the guy here that I mean we we've seen him go up against real competition for a very long time. He's been out for a while. Not saying that I'm not using that to say he'll be rusty, but maybe his injuries that he usually I mean he usually comes into his fights with like you know a lot of injuries and maybe he's uh you know healthy for this one, man. I think uh, he'll submit this guy as well. Now next up in the bantamweight division, we got a match between Jessica Rose Clark. She's 11 and six, taking on Stephanie Egger, who is six and two. And currently, they got Jessica Rose Clark minus one eighty. The comeback on Stephanie Eggers plus one fifty five. So, honestly, man, I think that Jessica Rose Clark's last two performances have been a big step in the right direction, man. I mean, like in two thousand nineteen, when she was on that two fight skate, losing the eye and Kian's ad. I mean, she took close to a year off. It seems like she's really been getting right. Um, the strength and conditioning has been on point. And what I like about these last two performances is that we've seen a well-rounded game. I mean, the Sarah Alpar fight, like we can say what we want about Alpar, but she handled Alpar accordingly. She whooped Alpar bell to bell. And then that next fight against Jocelyn Edwards, Edwards' only chance to win is via kickboxing, and Rose Clark goes out there and lands five takedowns in that fight. So that's what I'm seeing is a well-rounded approach here. And with Stephanie Egger, we know what she does. I mean, she she's a judo player. Uh, she actually beat Ronda Rousey once in judo back in the day. Um, so, I mean, it's basically about Jesse Rose just avoiding these, these hip tosses, these judo throws, uh, you know, keeping those hips level. And as long as she's not on her back for prolonged periods of time, I think she's going to bust this girl up, to be honest with you, man. So I think that she stuffs the, the you know, the judo throw attempts, keeps it standing lights her up and maybe down the stretch even gets a couple takedowns of her own so give me jessica rose clark via unanimous decision yeah i mean um she definitely done her thing these last two fights um yeah look i think that jocelyn edwards and sarah up like jocelyn edwards she's got a major hole in her game i mean she she can't stuff a takedown like at all like even in her first fight that she won against um the Chinese girl, I mean, she couldn't stuff a takedown. Uh, Carol Rosa exploited that. Then then Rose Clark, I'm not ready to sit here and act like she's about to be, what, where is she ranked? Uh, eight, fifteen. Yeah. You know, I think Stephanie Egger has got some, a couple good things going for her, man. The size, like this girl's a big girl, man. She, she's a real big, not definitely not the most technical, but she's got a good right hand. And I think that, you know, in, in these clinch, uh, in these clinch situations, I mean, Rose Clark looks like she's been liking a fight in the clinch uh, these last couple of fights. I think Edgar possibly has a couple little tricks for her up there, man. And I think if she gets on top, I mean, that last fight, I don't even know that girl's name that she beat, but uh, I mean, she knocked her. Uh, she, I mean, it was getting ugly. I mean, Stephanie Edgar was, was pounding this girl's face and, um, it's definitely going to be a tougher fight for her. I mean, Rose Clark's more experienced, been around for a while, got some got some good wins. So, yeah, I guess I, I, I slightly do lean Rose Clark. She's got better boxing, but I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if uh, Stephanie Edgar came in here and, and showed a better version of herself, man. I mean, her first fight against Cortez didn't go her way, kind of got exposed in the grappling a little bit, but 
I mean, Tracy Cortez is a Cejudo uh, wrestler, and, you know, she does have a win over Blanchfield, man. So um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if this fight could be lined a little closer. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. He's 22 and 9, taking on Uganda's David Onama, who is 8 and 1. And currently, they got David Onama minus 145. The comeback on Gabriel Benitez is plus 125. So, obviously, we're very familiar with Gabriel Benitez. Um, I, I got a lot of respect for him. I mean, this guy cashed a plus 150 for me against Sam Cecilia. He cashed a max bet for me against um, Humberto Bandine. Then I've also had success fading him against Sodik Youssef and uh, Omar Morales. So I look forward to this. And then David Onama took that Mason Jones fight on four days short notice. And, I mean, he basically fought with pure heart. And now got a full camp, gets to fight at his natural weight class. Uh, what do you think? I mean, you got a very seasoned guy in Gabriel Benitez taking on um, – I'd say a green prospect, but one that put on a hell of a fight his first time. So what do you think? Yeah, look, Onama is young. He's got less than 10 fights. So, look, he he's definitely still figuring things out. But I think he's pretty far along for a 10-0 guy. I mean, Mason eight Jones. And one. Huh? 8-1. and 8-1. Um, I think, you know, Mason Jones is a, a young prospect in himself. And not saying that Mason Jones is future this and that okay mason jones has only had a few fights but I, I see mason jones as a dog i see mason jones as a tough guy i see him as a guy that's going to win a lot of fights that's going to be around for the next 10 years or so so i think uh I, I think that onama had a very good showing of himself gabriel benitez look let's just be honest i think the wars have caught up with this guy let's not forget like the the, the tough house wars mixed in with getting knocked out by andre feely um you go to the Sadiq Yusuf fight, another stiff KO there. The Omar Morales fight, I mean, the shots that were getting traded there were, were uh, you know, I mean, they were devastating. He took a lot of damage in that fight. Then we go to the Billy Q fight. Look, Billy Q is a lesser striker than all of those guys that I just uh, that I just mentioned. And, I mean, Gabriel Benitez was getting caught with, with, with punches. I mean, once he got hurt, he had nothing left. It was actually kind, kind of astonishing to see how much his cardio fell, just how much, like, everything fell. Um, and I've, I've been seeing he's been having these weight problems. Like, he was supposed to fight T.J. Brown. Like, right, I, I, I got Mowgli over T.J. Brown. <laughs> I mean, uh, that fight was a, a good situation. Like, he, he misses weight, and now he's coming back again. I think there's a chance Mowgli might not be in good condition anymore. I think there's a chance the Warriors have caught up with this guy. You know, these Mexican fighters have, have a lot of heart, and they go out on their shield. And um, I just think with Onama, he's got to watch the counters. You know, he can't just come forward and not thinking nothing's going to come back like he did in the Mason Jones fight. But that was four days' notice. If that's what he looks like on four days' notice, give me a full camp. Um, and I think he the African power, the Ugandan power, Mowgli's chin is not going to be able to handle that. There's actual evidence to say that he, he can't handle the African power. I mean, I know he hurt Sadiq as well, but Sadiq was kind of fine. If you actually watch it, fight, like Sadiq was fine. Like, Sadiq showed him zero like, respect. Fucking, I think if Onama, I mean, from the interview, I already sounds like he respects Mowgli Benitez a lot. I think he's going to respect him and just find the, find the opportunity to knock him out clean. And, and, and I think he will, man. Um, I think he improved a lot from his his last uh, regional fight to the to the Mason Jones fight, man. I, that was some good improvement I seen. So I'm gonna take him for the win here. Um, look, yeah, he is a young guy. I, I don't. I'm not surprised people are betting Mowgli. I mean, we hold Mowgli in, in terms of violence. We we you know we hold him in in high regard. We know Mowgli brings it every time. We know the kicks that he throws are, are serious. But that last one was a was very alarming to me. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I respect Gabriel as well, man. And I get why people are betting him because you get a veteran with that much experience at dog money against, you know, someone who's green. I, I get it. Um, that angle works a lot, but there's times where it doesn't work. You know, you look at a fight like Michael Morales versus uh, Trevin Giles. Um, and I can see this being a similar case. You got to take it on a case by case basis. If you look at like Bahamondes versus MacDessie, MacDessie wasn't coming off anything brutal. I mean, MacDessie had a nice layoff, had time to freshen up. Whereas you look at Omar, um, excuse me, not Omar Morales, Michael Morales versus Trevin Giles. Trevin Giles was coming off that brutal ass knockout against Drika's Duplessis. And then on this side, Gabriel is coming off. I mean, if you watch that Billy Q fight and you feel comfortable laying money on Gabriel after that, I, I don't know. Like, I just. That, to me, was a clear sign of a decline. And about the whole experience thing, I mean, when I bet on Sodiq Youssef against uh, Gabriel, he was only 9-1 at the time. When I bet on Omar Morales against uh, Gabriel, he was only 9-0 at the time. So I've bet on inexperienced guys against Gabriel before and cashed. And I think I'm going to do the same thing Saturday night. Look, I'm not sitting here saying David Onama is going to be a top 15 guy. I'm not saying I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying he's going to be Gabriel Mowgli Benitez on Saturday. I think that so part of what you're saying in terms of respecting him while he's in there, I mean, you do have to look out for those devastating kicks, and obviously the punches come straight down the middle. You shoot a sloppy takedown on Mowgli. He's got that opportunistic guillotine. But part of what made Sodique's performance so great was how much he didn't show him any respect, and he just walked him down, and he was so confident in his power. And I think Onama's got some similar qualities here too. So I'm not convinced that Mowgli eats these shots and just keeps firing back. And... Yeah, that build the Q fight was very uncomfortable to watch and then mix that in with he's pulling out of fights, he's having weight issues. It just seems like Mowgli's trending downhill. And, you know, it sucks to say that about a, a guy we respect so much, but this seems like a spot where a green prospect can actually come in here and beat him. And I'm going to pick that outcome to happen. So give me Onama to come out here and defeat Mowgli Benitez. Now, headlining the prelims, we got a... A bantamweight match between Mario Bautista, he's eight and two, taking on Jay Perrin, who is ten and four. And currently, they got. Do they have odds on this fight yet? Um, I don't see any odds, but I assume Mario Bautista is the favorite. Oh, actually, I do see odds. It's Mario Bautista minus three fifty. The comeback on Jay Perrin is plus two eighty five. I mean, look, I, I agree that Bautista should be favored. I just personally don't feel comfortable laying minus three fifty on him. Um, Jay Perrin, it's like one of those things where. Like, he's not going to, like, you know, impress you and, like, you know, do things that, like, he's not some special athlete. He's not some special fighter, but he's also not shitty either. He's just kind of just solid, run-of-the-mill, average fighter. Um, That should be enough for Bautista to come out here and win this fight. It's just, you know, laying a price like minus 350 on Bautista does seem kind of sketchy. I do like the volume from Bautista. And I didn't think he was looking too bad in that Trevin, uh, that Trevin fight until he got caught. We just got to see how he bounces back. You know, um, that's the first time he's ever been knocked out. Um, so we don't know how he bounces back. But give me Mario Bautista to win a decision here. I, I do think Jay Perrin is tough. I just don't think Jay Perrin's anything special. Yeah, Bautista. All right. Now, before we talk about, actually, I, I was wrong. I said Bautista was the featured prelim. Actually, Jonathan Pierce and Christian Rodriguez is the featured prelim. So before we talk about the featured prelim in the featherweight division, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, BetUS. So guys, BetUS.com has been in the game for over 25 years, and they offer you the best odds and more props and live betting throughout the game. It's easy, safe, and secure, and your number one betting site. 
BetUS.com. Use code BATTLE125 for an 125% bonus on your first deposit. And obviously, the Super Bowl is behind us, but UFC isn't. And you got NBA. You got every single sport on there. The live betting throughout the game. So I highly recommend you check them out. And their odds are always on point. So use that code BATTLE125 and get that exclusive 125% bonus on your first deposit at BetUS.com. Now, Shaq. Let's talk about this feature prelim between JSP, Jonathan Pierce. He's 11-4, taking out Christian Rodriguez, who is 7-0. And currently, they got JSP minus 360. The comeback on Christian Rodriguez is plus 300. So, um, I got to say, I was actually very, very impressed with Christian Rodriguez, man. Like, his contender series fight was was on point, man. The only reason he didn't get signed was because he missed weight. That's literally the only reason he did not get signed. And it's funny because Jake Hadley was on the same show. Jake Hadley also missed weight, but I think Dana saw a little something more special in Hadley. Um, but Hadley is for real, but Rodriguez, I like him too, man. And he comes from Rufus sport has kind of reminds me of like a bantamweight Manny Sanchez a little bit, maybe with like a little cleaner hands. Um, just a true Mexican warrior, well-rounded. It's got the confidence of an undefeated fighter. So I think that this kid's going to win some fights in the UFC. My only issue with this matchup is the size difference, man. I mean, JSB is six feet tall at featherweight. He's a big boy. And also his output is pretty damn insane. And the guy doesn't get fucking tired, man. I mean, he can throw volume. He can mix and takedown after takedown. And we were talking about last week how that style, these guys like Jacob Malkoon, these guys like Ronnie Lawrence, and then you look at even some bigger names like Bilal Muhammad, Murab Devalishvili, like that style uh, even Nick Maximov, that style is going to win so many damn fights because you stuff the first five takedowns and the other dude is like not even discouraged at all. He keeps shooting and shooting and shooting. And at some point that's going to break you. So, yeah, definitely, 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 definitely pay attention to guys that can just shoot relentlessly without getting tired. I think JSB is one of those guys. But listen, if JSB you know, he's coming off two wins. If he's getting cocky, if he feels like, oh, this kid's 5'7", like I'm going to stand and bang with him. Well, then maybe Christian Rodriguez can come out here and get this upset because I do think that on the feet, Rodriguez will have something for JSB. It's just that if JSB is smart, not saying that Christian Rodriguez has some kind of hole in his wrestling. I mean, we saw him in there with a decent wrestler on Contender Series, stuffed pretty much everything, got back up the times he did get taken down. Like, I think this kid's solid. It's just... At some point, the size has to count for something. So I do think eventually Pierce gets him down. And from there, that's where I'm worried for Rodriguez. But like I said, I think Rodriguez has a bright future. I think he's a talented kid. I like him. Um, Like for all the newcomers on this card, I think he's probably the best one. Um, So, yeah. But I want to see him at Bantamweight, man. Uh, I think Featherweight, I think he's a bit too small for Featherweight. So for that reason, give me JSP to win this fight. But We'll uh we'll keep our eyes on Rodriguez in the future. Yeah, I think Rodriguez is in trouble, man. I mean, I think this is gonna just be one of those typical rude welcomings to the UFC. Um, I think his stand up is, is being overinflated just based off the last one he fought Tracy Cortez's uh, brother. I mean, that kid had no no stand up at all, no head movement, no footwork. I mean, I'm talking like bad man. So it was it was very impairing. Um, JSP, man, look, I'll tell you what. If you would have told me a couple of years ago you would have been here like this, I would have told you you were crazy. But, I mean, this kid has been putting in work. And I actually heard from one of the best coaches in the game. Like, they actually, uh, you know, thank JP for for his work and training. And Captain Eric, man, Captain Eric said 
that JP JSP went to Brazil, went uh went inspired with the Pitbull brothers. Um uh he's at fight ready, you know, he's doing I mean he's he's surrounding himself with uh with a top notch team, man. He's got Eddie Cha and Santino behind him. So, you know, uh yeah, man, JSP, look, he be the way he took care of Omar, man. I mean that dude's strong in the size, like the strength and conditioning. I don't think he's using Neuroforce, but I think he's using something else. And I mean, the size and his physique now, like just the pace he put on Kai Kamaka, mixing it up, like, you know, with the range on the outside and then mixing the takedowns in. I mean, his grappling, he can, that's something he can go to, you know, in, in, in future fights, man. I feel like he's the most confident he's been. Um, Christian Rodriguez will be back. Like, but, you know, he's got to start off with the, you know, with the entry level guys. This is going to be way too much for him. Um, like I said, the last guy he fought, Tracy Cortez's brother, had no stand up at all. And, and, you know, that fight was, um, you know, I thought he, yeah, he'll be back, but just not not Saturday. I think in Saturday he's in over his head. I mean, look, after this, we can do Christian Rodriguez versus Jesse Strader or, yeah, or something yeah. like that, you know? Get him back on track. Now, kicking off the main card in the middleweight division, we got a banger between Joaquin Buckley's 13-4, taking on Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who's 11-4. and And currently they got Joaquin Buckley minus 165. The comeback on Abdul Razak Al-Hassan is plus 145. Um, I mean, we know the dynamic of this fight. Most likely, they stand and trade until one man falls. But sometimes when you expect that to happen, it doesn't always go according to plan. Sometimes they respect each other's power. And I actually heard Joaquin Buckley's interview talking about how, um, you know, every time Razak's been out the first round, he hasn't won. And that's actually, that's factual. This is true. So maybe, maybe he's going to try to wrestle here. Maybe he's going to try to extend this fight. Both guys have made big changes, which I respect. Uh, Razak moved to Colorado, or not moved, but he does his camps in Colorado now at Elevation, which was good, you know, because uh, word on the street was that, you know, in it's Texas, yes man, he, he, has, he had a lot of yes men in Texas. That was the word on the street. No one wanted to tell Razak what to do. <laughs> and said that. I ain't going to tell Razak shit. So <laughs> I, I get where he's coming from. And then Joaquin, I heard him like, he like up until his last fight, he had a full time job at Walgreens and not because he wasn't getting paid well in the UFC, but just because he wanted that consistent, steady check. Um, and now he actually quit his job. He became a full time fighter and he did this camp at Extreme Couture with Eric Nixick. So it's cool that both these guys have, you know, kind of left their comfort zones and they're trying to do, you know, something different, something to aid their career. So, I mean, what do you think, man? Is it as simple as you know, let's see whose chin is better, or do you think there's going to be some strategy here from Buckley to extend this fight, maybe maybe mixing some takedowns? Yeah, look, I, I, I think that um, Buckley, I mean, the kid has a lot of heart, man. I think he's got a, a good drive about him, and I, and I like that he's uh, making that switch up because, you know, he's from Missouri, and, you know, he – Word on the street is he's not really allowed to uh, to to come to to too many gyms uh, in Missouri. So I think that um, this is a good situation for him. You know, I see him on his Instagram. He's training with guys like um, Sean Strickland, Curtis, uh, the Russian. You know, my my Russian um, Dureyev, Albert um, Albert Dureyev. Uh, I mean, like you know, they they seem to have hit it off pretty nicely. So yeah, man, I think this. I think Joaquin Buckley. Now that he's got like a good situation behind him, maybe, maybe we see uh, uh, you know, better versions. Cause the, I mean, the the hunger, the the in the cage. I mean, this guy, he can, he's shown times where he, you know, he's in adversity and he, but he stays focused and he gets his job done, like the Antonio Arroyo fight. I mean, 
I mean, look at the the height disadvantage. He was at the reach disadvantage. I mean, he was getting eaten apart with teep kicks and high kicks and knees. And I mean, he stayed in there and he and he, and he got his job done, man. Um, with Razak, man, the thing is that first round is literally gonna be some hold your breath moments. Um, Joaquin Buckley is open to the right high kick. I mean, we've seen him get knocked out stiff with the right high kick and. Razak uh, just won his last fight in 15 seconds with the right high kick, man. So, look, I think Razak is really not gonna. It's really not much is gonna change. I mean, we we know what Razak is gonna do. We know that first round is gonna be he either knocks you out in the first round or or not. <laughs> and uh, but I think Buckley, man, I think he's gonna get through this. I think he is gonna use some of those uh, traditional strategies like tie him up on the fence, um, try to you know throw the hand like he likes throwing those hammers to the thighs and the and the stomps. Get Razak, you know, his blood flowing. Make him get desperate. Make him start swinging big. Because um, I I think Buckley he is a little chinny, but I think that. Um, like man, he's just very game. He just strikes me as very tough. Um, so yeah, man, I think he's gonna he's gonna knock Razak out somewhere in that second or third round, man. Um, just by overwhelming him. Like I, I think Razak is true, man. When Razak gets out the first round, uh, things usually don't go well. But maybe maybe Colorado Razak is, is a is a different guy, man. Who knows? Because the last one, man, he he made me jump out of my seat when he did that shit. I was like, oh my god, like I'm, Alessio. I've seen Alessio get wobbled, but not like that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not that Razak's gonna come out here changing. Can I say something else? Yeah. That that loss to Jacob Malcoon don't look so bad now, man. I mean, Jacob Malcoon's doing his thing. The kid's a dog, but look. It's not that Razak's going to come out here as like a new man. That's not no, that's no. not the thing. It's more so is he going to be confident in himself? Because a confident Razak is a scary and dangerous Razak, man. I mean, like uh, when that dude's feeling himself, you got to watch out. But I do agree with Buckley being favored. I, I really do. Um, for the reasons we mentioned, um, there's more paths to victory, and if the fight gets extended, historically speaking, Razak tends to lose. However, easier said than done. It is easier said than done, and I don't know. I mean, I have a problem. I keep picking Razak, <laughs> and uh, it looks like uh, I need help, right? So give me Razak at dog money to come out here and knock out Buckley. But I'm not confident in that because it's like the changes Buckley has made, but also the changes Razak has made. Um, again, you know, this fight going past the first round, it's it's sketchy, right? Like you, you definitely question what was going to happen there. Razak goes balls to the wall, uh, and that's just how he fights. That's why we love watching him fight, win, lose, or draw. Um, so I think, you know, I'm going to take Razak to catch him in one of these early exchanges. I think that's his path to victory, but the longer the fight goes, I mean, if Razak has a really good first round, maybe you take a look at betting Buckley live. Maybe you get a better line on Buckley live than you would coming into the fight. So, and you can bet live at betus.com. Now, nah, but, uh, yeah, give me Razak, but you know, yeah, it's, uh, not, not the most confident pick because either of these guys could could easily catch the other guy but buckley's got more paths to victory but buckley's also been knocked out a few times and Razak is a guy that you know if there's if there's questions about your chin he's not exactly the guy you want testing that chin but yeah i'm on the fence about it so give me the dog Razak al hassan now this one i'm very much looking forward to shack next up in the lightweight division we got the legend jim miller he's 33 and 16 taking on newcomer nicholas mata who was 12 and 3 and currently, they got Nicholas Mata minus 175. The comeback on Jim Miller is plus 155. So I know the big question is, you know, why is a newcomer from Contender Series minus 175 against uh, the legend Jim Miller? And 
I actually don't think that um, that Nicholas Mata is just some random guy coming off contender series actually he was on the ultimate fighter back in 2015 like the same season that neto bjj was on the same season that glaco franza won he actually won a fight in the house and then lost the eventual winner glaco franza and another thing is that his regional scene like the dudes that that uh nick mata has been fighting i mean he's been fighting real dudes in his regional scene i mean he beat a joe selecki and he didn't just beat joe selecki I mean, we'll talk about how brutal the knockout is, but let's talk about this because, like, the question is, like, can he survive on the mat early with Jim Miller? I mean, he survived on the mat for, like, two straight rounds with Joe Selecki. Now, no MMA math. I, I know Joe Selecki beat Jim Miller, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make. Me, Joe Selecki's got better jiu-jitsu than Jim Miller. Well, yeah, I know that. That's the point I'm trying to make. The you point. see what he did to uh, Cowboy? <laughs> Dude, Selecki, Selecki can grapple for real. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because Mata survived two rounds on the mat with Selecki. Like, Selecki was taking him down at will, mounting him, taking his back, doing all these things. And... The fact that Mata was able to survive that and make it to the third round, and in addition to that, showed the urgency of like, hey, I'm down two rounds. I got to put you know, my pedal to the metal and go out there and knock this guy out. And when I tell you that he knocked him out, it's one of the most devastating, brutal, vicious KOs I've seen. And uh, he had this other one. It's on Fight Pass. You got to check it out against Cesar Balmaceda. Dude, like... Selecki was snoring. So, like, Selecki, they had to bring out the the smelling salts, but against Cesar Balmaceda, they had to bring out the stretcher, man. Like, it was it was a disgusting knockout against Cesar. Y'all got to check that out. Like, hit the pause button, pull up Fight Pass, and check out check out Nicholas Mata versus Balmaceda. I mean, it's only, like, a 30-second knockout, a 54-second knockout. Like, I'm telling you, one of the most vicious KOs you'll ever see in your life. Um, he actually fought our good buddy, Robert Hale, and Rob's the only guy to knock him out. And Rob, you guys will be hearing the name Robert Hale. So what now? Someone else knocked him out back in the day? Um, oh, yeah, that's true, in 2016. But uh, Rob Hale, you, you guys got to remember the name Robert Hale, man. Um, this guy will be in the UFC soon. Um, if you look him up and you see his records 11 and 5, you're like, what are you talking about, Daniel? It's like, yeah, because this dude was out here fighting fucking undefeated Russians up a weight class, going the distance with them, landing over 100 strikes against them. He was just taking some crazy fights early on in his career. Now he's taking the right fights. But our boy Robert Hale did knock out Nicholas Mata. And if you watch that fight, it's a crazy-ass fight. And the only place you can watch it is actually on this channel right here. So hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. And if you find the Robert Hale highlight reel, that's literally the only place you can see the footage of Robert Hale versus Nicholas Mata. So they have this insane fight. Nicholas Mata charges him recklessly. Rob catches him with a check left hook and drops him. Rob gets excited. He tries to finish the fight. Then they had a very rare double knockdown. Right. So they have this double knockdown. They both get up. They're swinging for the fences. Our boy Rob ends up clipping uh, Nicholas Mata and finishing him. And since that point, Mata, he picked himself back up, took close to a year off, comes back with that Cesar Balmaceda knockout I was talking about. Devastating. Wins the CFFC belt and then goes out there on contender series and beats this kid, Joseph Lowry, over three rounds. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because with Jim Miller, listen, that first round, Jim Miller is hell on wheels. But historically speaking, for the last half decade, if you get Jim Miller out the first round, um, he's not going to win. Now I get it. He knocked out, you know, this this ghost pepper guy 10 seconds into the second round, his last fight. I don't think that's any indication that he can win fights past the first round anymore. I think that he was just fighting like literally a low level fighter that had no business in there with him. Whereas Nick Mata, 
Like I said, this is not just some random newcomer. This guy was on the Ultimate Fighter in 2015. He's fought real dudes in his regional scene, and then he went to Contender Series. So I think he's paid his dues, and he's also a guy that moved from Brazil to the States, was training with Frankie Edgar, with Edson Barboza, with Marlon Moraes back when those guys were like, you know, doing their thing. So I think he's ready to come in here right now, weather this early storm, and knock out the legend in the second or third round. So give me Nick Mata to win his UFC debut. Yeah, man. I, I I mean, pretty much hit that on the head. I mean, I've been knowing Nick Mata for for some time now, and uh, yeah, man, I, I think he's primed for this spot. Jim Miller, a legend of the sport, been watching Jim Miller since I was a, a young man myself. So I think uh, Jim Miller, look, his last fight I think was an indication that now he might start getting wobbled and hurt from the outside. Usually, it's more so of a wrestling grind, you know, uh, in the clinch that kind of breaks him. Um, not saying that he hasn't been knocked out before or uh or you know stop with strikes it's just you know um yeah like you said man when he fights get out the first round his winning percentage is very low i mean that's just the uh bottom line and i think nicholas mata since that knockout loss to uh rob hale he um is kind of he kind of adjusted his style a little bit like i i noticed in the past like on the contender series he's very wild you know swinging loopy punches leaving himself open not really respecting his opponents now you're seeing a guy in the 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 lowry fight the last one i mean he's he's point fighting now he's you know he's being smart he's picking his spots he's trying to protect himself uh i think if he comes in with that approach and, and you know um and you know looks to fight for three rounds that he's gonna end up finding a home for one of those left hooks and, and dropping him and you know just starting the whole process of deteriorating jim miller i mean it is really that simple a lot of guys have passed this test a lot of guys haven't but nicholas mata man he's been putting in work with guys like dos anos and uh, novo Nial, and uh i know he's he's a part of that camp for the the physique fight um him and um you know some other guys so yeah man I, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does here i think he comes out here and you know whether yeah like whether well, there's a storm in the first round i wouldn't be shocked if nicholas motto won that first round like jim miller's gonna really have to respect uh respect some power here um and, and nicholas motto has been knocked out before but rob hill man like these guys can hit like these guys um i know not, not too many people know him but like these guys got real power like real hands so I'm gonna go with Nicholas Mata here to to to. I'll, I'll say a decision. I think he 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 wins a decision against Jim Miller. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a match between Parker Porter. He's twelve and six, taking on Alan Baldo, who is eight and two. But between you and me, seven and three, because that fight against Todd Stout on um, you know, what's the name of the Canadian show? Uh, Don TKO. So he got his ass beat. He actually got submitted, but Todd Stout was smoking a little reefer, so they overturned it and actually gave Bado the win. So it says he's eight and two, but he's actually seven and three. And currently they got Parker Porter minus two sixty to come back on Alan Bado's plus two twenty. So I've actually faded Baudo in both his UFC fights. I literally laid minus three fifty on Aspinall straight because I thought it should have been minus nine fifty, right? And then the next fight against Nascimento, I laid that straight too, I think. Um but he actually made me sweat in the Nascimento fight. Basically, I thought the Nascimento fight was the best Alan Bado I've ever seen um, in that first round. It's just that then he gave up, which was crazy because I was like, man, like he was hurting him. He was like fighting a home for some stuff. He was looking the best he's ever looked. But, you know, Bado ain't exactly the toughest, but he's 
still a big dude. He's still athletic. He's still throwing spins. He's still throwing unorthodox shit. So like he can still catch people. Like and Parker Porter has been caught before. So you gotta be you gotta be worried early. It's just that Parker Porter has got that vet experience, and most importantly, he's got the heart, and he's so much tougher than this guy that he gets past the first round. I think he's gonna come out here and, and take care of biz. So give me Parker Porter, but um, first five minutes will be a sweat. After that, Porter should take over. So give me Porter, but I'm not exactly going to rush to lay this price, but give me Porter. Yeah, I got Parker Porter here, man. The big man is going to come in here and take care of business. Um, I think the reason why he had success with uh, Nascimento is because Nascimento can't strike. <laughs> I think Nascimento's slow. I think, uh, you know, not much head movement. I mean, he uh, is a jujitsu guy, you know. Um, that was his first knockout, but yeah, Alan Badal straight up quit in that fight. I was, I was like, wow, like he just took a knee, like turned away and everything, man. Yeah, Parker, you can't be taking knees against a guy like man. If you took a knee and you're fighting Parker Porter, like look, just look at the size of that guy. Look what he did to uh, Parisian and, and Chase Sherman. I mean, put a pace on both of those boys. Not saying that that's anything to uh, write home about, but I mean, he did dominate those fights and, and he moved forward the entire time and he showed that toughness. Alan Badeau, yeah, he touched Nascimento. Nascimento can't strike. Uh, I think Parker Porter has way better uh, boxing, man. Um, more power, more aggressive, more confident. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to go with Par Parker Porter. Co-main event of the evening, we got an 195-pound catchweight between Kyle Dawkins, he's 10-2, Taking on Jamie Pickett, who is 13 and 6. And currently they got Kyle Dawkins minus 265. The comeback on Jamie Pickett's plus 225. So like I get why the line is where it's at, because you know, Dawkins has been more impressive in the UFC lately. You know, obviously that Kevin Holland fight, even though it's a no contest, I mean he between you and me, uh, according to the street rules, he knocked out and submitted Kevin Holland in that fight. Um, but Jamie Pickett, look, I know he didn't get off to the best start, man, but at least he's coming off two straight wins. I'm sure he's more confident than he's ever been. And we have seen, you know, a bigger, more athletic guy handle Dacus before in that Phil Haas fight. But this is, you know, Jamie ain't a D1 wrestler like Phil Haas. I just had to bring that up. Um, I mean, what kind of shot are we giving Pickett here? Like, you think coming off two wins that now he's got his confidence and maybe we see a better version of him? Or is it Kyle Dacus smash season? Man, this is a tough one for me because, I mean, I think most people all agree that Dawkins should be favored, that, you know, he should uh, he should be the favorite here. He is, you know, the better fighter. It's just timing is a lot, man. And Jamie Pickett is confident right now and he's hot and he does have good physical attributes. And I've never been that impressed with Kyle Dawkins. Like, I actually uh, bet Phil Hawes against him. Um and, you know, he beat Dustin Stolz. Dustin Stolz was uh, pretty good, but Dustin Stolz is, like, is about to get cut probably. Um, like, Kyle Dawkins, I feel like he he likes the the grappling is his comfort zone, you know. Uh, he, he likes to clinch. He likes to be on top. He can, he can definitely throw hands, but I always feel like what I want to see from him is the dog. I don't see that dog in him. I think, like, he has to be dominating the entire fight. I think once, like, fights become close and, and you know bloody and dudes have you know gotten bruised up he kind of fades but you could say the same thing about jamie pickett um i think that last fight was a good step in the right direction he actually ate some good shots and kept going um and i mean look at those for the his first two fights man he had to fight to fonda don i mean look, i mean that dude's scary bro like and 
And then is uh, who do you it, find the it, second? Uh, yeah, the the Beverly Hills Ninja one. Who's Stefan fighting? Is he fighting Jiraev? Azuma, Azuma, um, dude that knocked out Maniz. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, oh shit! Um, but fucking, I think that um, my bad. Sorry to throw you off. No, nah, Beverly yeah, Hills Ninja. Yeah, Beverly Hills Ninja. That definitely wasn't a, a good look for Jamie. But I hear you seeing a string. But look, Jamie, nothing, nothing too impressive. I just think that like if if Kyle Dawkins is off and this becomes a where they're hanging in the clinch and you know they're just trading position in the clinch back and forth, both guys are hesitant. I mean, Jamie Pickett does have some physical attributes, man. Like I, I was even saying this going into his last fight, like he is big, he is strong, he does have like an eighty inch reach, I believe. Like, uh, I mean, physically speaking, like if mentally things are you know, in tune, I mean, who knows what could happen? I will, I'm not that confident. I don't, I don't think, I think that line's a little off. Um, Kyle Dawkins, look, he did hurt Phil Hawes. He did sweep Phil Hawes a couple times. Um, he is a black belt. Um, but, man, I think it should be more so, like, minus 175, like, minus 150, like, you know, 165, something like that, man. Like, I I, I slightly lean him, but not by that much. I think it's a dog or pass situation. But I'll take Dawkins by a close decision. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's one of those uh, cases where, like, Dawkins should come out here and finish this guy. I mean, Pickett, we saw Charles Bird finish him in the first round. We saw Beverly Hills Ninja finish him in the first round. So, I mean, I think Dawkins should do the same. It's just it might not be that simple, man. I mean, having the momentum that Pickett has, um, you know, like you said, he's seeing a sports shrink, which for some people that's like a red flag. But honestly, if like your mental is not on point and that helps your mental get on point, do what you got to do, you know. So he's doing what he has to do. So, I mean, we'll see how we'll see how he comes back in this one, because it's like he did what he had to do, but he beat, you know, two guys that don't belong in the ufc right like loriano i actually like loriano but loriano is a welterweight that you know he was eating too much argentinian steak you know and then the next fight against joseph holmes you know it's funny because it's like when dana talked about how like you know he wasn't quite sure if holmes belonged in the ufc on contender series like when dana says these things listen to him when he says ronnie lawrence is special listen to him when he says impa kasang and i might get hurt if he comes to the ufc listen to him when he says kyle Dawkins doesn't have that killer like shaq just said listen to him so um i do lean kyle Dawkins, but i have a feeling that it might actually be a little uglier than we expect like kyle should come out here take this dude's back choke him out in the first round that's how he should win to cover his price tag. But I have a feeling it might be a three-round fight. It might get a little ugly at times. But still give me Dawkins to win. Main event of the evening in the 205-pound division, we got Johnny Walker. He's 18-6, and six, taking on Jamal Hill, who is 10-1. and one. And currently, they got Jamal Hill minus 240. The comeback on Johnny Walker is plus 205. Now, these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. I mean, I don't see anyone shooting a takedown unless they get badly rocked on the feet, which is a possibility here. Um, now I haven't seen that same Johnny Walker since the Corey Anderson fight. I think that he's searching for answers here. Um, now some could say, Hey, he just went five rounds with a title challenger, but others could say, well, the most strikes you threw any round was like 11 strikes per round, which is really, really bad. You cannot have numbers that low. Remember when Connor's like, his numbers are so low about, uh, like Chad Mendes, uh, followers or whatever. No, but like Johnny Walker's numbers were so fucking low in that Tiago fight. Like you cannot have low numbers against Jamal Hill unless you catch him. Like if Johnny Walker can, uh, can come out here and knock out Hill, like then it doesn't matter that he's got no volume, but like 
if this shit gets extended, both guys are tired and we want to find out like just who the better fighter is. You know, no fluke knockouts on either side. We just see who the better fighter is. It, it is Jamal Hill Shack. But that being said, fights don't always go according to plan and anything can happen in there. It's it's a fight for a reason. So what do you think? Yeah, man, I think uh, this is Jamal's Jamal Hill's fight to win. I mean, let's just look at the facts. Like, I think Johnny Walker, honestly, man, we at least I know I, I got duped. I'll admit it, man. I mean, like we saw what happened on some of those regional scene fights and those local scene fights, and we kind of just ignored it. Look, he beat a guy that made his own deodorant, and he beat <laughs> um, Khalil Roundtree and Misha Sarkinov. You know? So, like, you know, at the time it was definitely impressive, but, like, after the Corey fight, like, the Nick, the Krylov fight, that performance, I mean, he had opportunities to win and he kind of folded. Um, yeah, It's just like the, the Ryan Spann fight, he got dropped as well. You know, Ryan just did his typical, uh, you know, <laughs> thing that he does when he loses. Uh, he's done that, like, three times. Yep, um, yep. Um, so, like, I think... Uh, yeah, man. I just think like the facts are out there. And then the last one, like, is, is Kavanaugh cornering him or no? I believe so. Oh man. I mean, look, I don't want to, I don't want to get into Kavanaugh. I think a lot of people already know how I feel about that, about him, but it's just like, I don't think that's a good uh, duo. I feel like Johnny Walker needs to be at a gym like Kings, you know, like, uh, you know, just a, a an aggressive where he can use his power, where he can, you know, get to to stalking guys and, and trying to knock them out, man. And that's what Jamal Hill does. Jamal Hill, in terms of stand-up, I mean, he hasn't lost anything in the UFC. I mean, on the feet, this guy, I mean, is hurting dudes. Um, his volume's on point. I mean, he goes to the body like a real boxer, like he stays disciplined. Um, you know, I just think that he's just got to worry about getting caught, pretty much. I think that he's got more volume. I think he stays more focused and doesn't make mistakes. Is where you got Johnny Walker doing a lot of, you know, playing on the outside and, and, and a lot of, feints that aren't really working man so we'll see what happens look anybody could get caught 100 percent, but johnny walker hasn't shown anything man i think the, the pressure is really on him to show something like i i think that he he needs a good performance in this fight and maybe he gets it but i, I gotta go with jamal hill after that last one man the you do you do jimmy crew like that i mean first exchange like it was it was literally like the first couple of exchanges and then boom like it, it was over that fast like we've seen Jimmy Crew, you know, have some ups and downs, but who the hell has ever handled Jimmy Crew like that? Uh, that was a statement. And you guys know I've been high on Jamal Hill since day one because I, I mean, it's almost ad nauseum. Like the example I bring up, like obviously he's got the one hitter quitter of a man his size, but the dude's got like the output of a way smaller guy. Like he's got the output of someone in the featherweight division, but he's a six foot four man with an eighty inch reach. Like. Those are some special qualities. And you remember like when John Jones was champion, how like John had such a big size advantage over these guys that it was almost like a cheat code. Like all these dudes were like, you know, six one fighting Jones and shit. Well, now you got these guys coming up. Jamal Hill, six four with the 80 inch reach. You got Johnny Walker, who's six six with like an 82 inch reach. So like these guys coming up now, like actually have the size and the athleticism um, to compete with a guy like John Jones. Uh, but as far as this fight's concerned, like, since the Corey Anderson fight, Johnny Walker's been looking for those answers, man. And I'm not quite convinced that, you know, the New York Times bestselling author is the answer to his problems, man. Um, obviously, he can catch anybody, you know. He's got a nice high kick. He's got the opportunistic flying knee. He's got elbows in the clinch. And he's just a big-ass dude. But if he does not knock out Hill, 
Hill is going to light him up in a way where, like, I mean, Hill actually establishes his jab. Hill's got a nice straight left down the pipe. Hill can throw the hooks. Hill can go to the body. He's got the teep kicks. He's got the range attacks. Like, I like everything about Jamal Hill. And there's this misconception that Paul Craig took him down and submitted him. Paul Craig didn't take him down. Paul Craig pulled guard. Jamal Hill was overconfident in his ground game. He follows him to the ground. Paul Craig beat Inkling, man. Like, he was like, oh, I'm going to pound this guy out and beat him at his own game. Look, big mistake. But Johnny Walker ain't about to fucking pull guard and submit him. And so that fight's basically irrelevant. Um, and he had to take his first L. He was cocky. He was arrogant. But you see how he responded from that? You see how much accountability he took? Like, he said he disrespected the game and... And he showed Paul Craig all the respect in the world afterwards. And, you know, as a result, look how he bounced back. So I think he's ready for this main event opportunity. Um, I think he comes out here and knocks out Johnny Walker. Look, that Ryan Spann fight, Ryan Spann should have knocked out Johnny Walker too. But like Shaq was alluding to, Ryan Spann's actually had three separate fights where he's been knocked out the exact same way on a takedown attempt via Travis Brown elbows. Like, I don't know why the fuck that keeps happening to him. I was trying to see him fight on Kudalaba, but... (laughs) You know, Ryan Spann, all his like social media is on private too. He's a head case. But um, Jamal Hill, I think he's got his head on straight, man. And I, I don't think he's going to fuck up when he gets Walker hurt. I think he's going to seal the deal. So give me Jamal Hill to knock out Johnny Walker and move up uh, the rankings into the top 10. First round? I'm going first round. I'm curious what the over-under is at here in this fight. Um, let's see. Oh, they don't have it on here. Hold on one second. Is it is it one and a half, you think? Uh yeah, probably. It's probably one and a half, right? Let's see. Over under currently. Hold on one second, guys. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Okay, over under one and a half. Under one and a half is actually dog money. Interesting. So maybe that's something to look at. But then again, you know, it's hard to pick outcomes, let alone a winner. So Fight, <laughs> yeah, that last fight. But I just don't see like a fight where Jamal Hill only throws 10 strikes per round. Like, that's just not who he is, man. He's got too much volume for that. I do think he's going to respect Johnny Walker a little bit because you got to. I mean, the size, the athleticism, all that stuff. But at some point, I mean, like when Walker comes at you recklessly, like Hill's instincts are to counter and those counters are going to be there all night. So everybody do us a favor, smash that like button, hit that subscribe button. We're going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. But first up, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Prize Picks. So guys, I think that Prize Picks is the easiest and simplest way to make money in daily fantasy sports. Um, basically, you can combine multiple sports or you can keep it in the same sport. You got to basically take a lineup of either two to five players from any sport. You can do the same sport. You can mix and match whatever you want. And you got to beat prize picks projections. So I was telling y'all on that Phil Rowe fight, they set the over under like something between like 40 and 60 strikes. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you mean to tell me Jason Witt can eat 40 to 60 strikes from anyone, let alone Phil Rowe. So you smash those unders. And sometimes like you you take like grapplers and they, just project their their significant strikes way higher than they should be. So you got to smash those unders. Use our code BATTLE for an 100% instant deposit match up to $100. So you pick two to five players. You can win up to 10 times on any entry. They got no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi-entry. It's just you versus their projection. And they allow mixed sports entries. So guys, check out Prize Picks and use the code BATTLE for an 100% deposit match up to $100. Now, Shaq, let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 48? Um, my fight to watch, man, is going to be uh, 
It's going to be between Jim Miller and Nicholas Mata. I mean, you got the legend of the sport, Jim Miller. I mean, this guy, he's been around for as long, I mean, longer than most of these guys have been watching the sport, man. So, like, I, I think that Nicholas Mata's got a good opportunity to come in here and put a, a serious name under your belt in your UFC uh, official debut. So, yeah, that's my fight to watch. Uh, my fight to watch is Gabriel Benitez versus David Onama. I mean, listen. Every single Gabriel Benitez fight is super exciting. And then David Onama really brought it on short notice his last time out. And it's got that classic, you know, experienced vet versus up-and-comer uh, vibe to it. So I'm just very curious to see what happens in that fight. And regardless of what happens, I think it's going to be very exciting and violent. So for that reason, Benitez versus Onama is my fight to watch. Shaq, who is your fighter to watch? Uh, my fighter to watch is Chas Skelly, man. I mean, look, this is his last fight. And he's been around a long time, and he's been one of the best submission guys. I, I got to see Chess Kelly get on the mic, man, after he submits this guy, uh, Mark Striegel. And, and, you know, and, and let's celebrate his good career, man. He, he's been around. He's been cool to us. So shout out to Chess Kelly. I definitely drink a beer for Chess Kelly on this one. Um, listen, my fighter to watch is in the main events, Jamal Hill. Listen, I've been high on this guy since day one. And it's funny because I used to be super high on Johnny Walker, but I think maybe I was fooled. Maybe I didn't look into those regional fights as much as I should have. You know, that one where he got knocked out three times. But I'll give him credit, though. He's got heart. Johnny Walker is a tough guy. You have to put him out. He's not going to quit. But I think Jamal Hill has the goods to put him out. And I, I predicted at the beginning of the year that he's going to end the year in the top five. So in order to do that, you got to get that first step. And that first step is beating Johnny Walker. So Jamal Hill is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down Saturday night live at the Apex. Um, they can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. I wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, my buddy, Jay Luke. He's actually a rapper from Virginia that I met through Jamal Hill. I was playing Warzone with Jamal Hill, and on our squad was this dude named Jay Luke. And we ended up uh, getting in touch. He came to Atlanta. We had lunch at Fox Bros Barbecue, which, you know, is fucking awesome. We caught a Braves game together, and he ended up hooking me up with his gear, this badass hat and this badass shirt. So check out Jay Luke, badass rapper from Virginia. appreciate you, Jay Luke. He actually has a tattoo of... Uh, of uh, Jamal Hill's rookie card NFT, which is pretty fucking crazy. My dude's wild out there, but uh, check out Jay Luke. But yeah, follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Follow me at Best Five Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We'll be back next week for the next card. We got Bobby King Green taking on Islam Makachev. I mean, I feel like, the, I mean, I was looking forward to the Darius fight, but this, I feel like this one got even more turned up now, you know, with Bobby. I mean, could that nickname King be any more fitting? Yeah. Like what a Bobby OG Green, you know? Bobby's out here hurting faces and and tearing the man. You saw how Nasrat's face looked like after that? I bet on Bobby. <laughs> that was uh yeah. And their face like tore up. And if we want to get Nasrat back on track, uh, feed him Alex Hernandez. But uh <laughs> but yeah, we'll be back next week for the next car. Thank you guys all so much. Smash that like button, hit that subscribe. We truly appreciate it. Interact with us on Twitter. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.